Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, retail insights from retail insider Craig Patterson. We're talking about single-use plastics and banning them. We'll have a look at the potential for HBC to go private. And we'll also have a look at money laundering and how it could impact luxury retail sales if government successfully cracks down on that issue. We're accepting nominations now for a number of awards here at BIV, including our BC CEO Awards, Influential Women in Business, and our signature 40 Under 40 Awards program. You can also nominate Chief Technology and Innovation Officers for our inaugural BC CTO Awards. Applications for all programs are now open. You can visit BIV.com events for details. Joining me now with insight into the latest retail trends and news is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at Retail Insider. Craig, as always, good to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. We have some big news concerning Hudson's Bay today and a proposal to potentially take the company private. Tell me what you're hearing. Um, it looks like Richard Baker, um, you know, a big wig at Hudson's Bay, is actually looking at uh, acquiring the entire company. It's currently publicly traded. Uh, its stock price has absolutely collapsed, which, uh, you know, at one time it was, uh, you know, at over uh, $25. It's down to, uh, you know, $6. It, mm-hmm. it, it really hasn't been doing well. And, uh, you know, there was an activist investor, probably more than one, that was basically telling Hudson's Bay that they should sell all their real estate and uh, call it a day. And, you know, make billions of dollars by selling it. And, and now you know, Hudson's Bay, if they do go private, has an opportunity to kind of control its destiny, which which hopefully would include retail. But it, it, I think it's going to include uh, co-working space, given that WeWork might be part of this deal. That's interesting. What might that then mean for existing HBC locations? Obviously, there's some uncertainty. We don't know what will really happen. But does it inspire hope that we might continue to have HBC stores? I think definitely. I mean, Hudson's Bay was in a little bit of trouble, I think, for a while there. It had quite a bit of debt. It wasn't making the profit to pay for that debt. And then on top of that, uh, you know, the company um, had, I think, in January, cash of only like about $21 million, which really isn't a lot of money to play with. So, you know, I think that there was actually a risk that Hudson, the Hudson Bay company could have gone bankrupt. So uh, this is, uh, you know, a move, I think, to save the company and to keep it as a retailer. Um, I'm predicting we will see some stores closed, the less productive ones. Uh, um, yeah, I've seen that reported anyways. You know, there are certain, I mean, Hudson's Bay has some really strong stores, you know, downtown Toronto, downtown Vancouver. These are great stores, you know, Montreal. But uh, there's a lot of suburban stores which perhaps shouldn't be open. So uh, you know, the, uh, Helena Fuchs, who's the president of the company currently, uh, you know, she's making some really interesting decisions that, uh, uh, you know, could involve store closures. I mean, I don't know if the Lord and Taylor um, nameplate is going to be around in a few years as a store in its entirety. Mm-hmm. What remains the the strongest aspect of Hudson's Bay at this point when it comes to its business? That's probably its real estate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's also the, uh, the oldest... Uh, uh, corporation in the Americas, you know, it was founded in 1670. So it's got, uh, you know, it's got a brand recognition. Uh, it's got a history and a heritage behind it, which, you know, it, it's hard to replicate that. I know uh, Ralph Lauren tried to do that, but and probably did it fairly successfully, actually. But, you know, I think having that brand recognition and that history is one thing. But, uh, you know, the Hudson Bay does sit on some pretty incredible real estate. I know over the years, it sold some of it. And it's, uh, you know, made some interesting moves, you know, in Toronto, they sold their 
gigantic flagship store uh, to Cadillac Fairview for you know $650 million, including an adjacent office tower. And, you know, they did a lease back. Uh, you know, they still own the Vancouver store, as far as I'm aware. They were uh, putting it on the market. And, uh, you know, these very, this valuable real estate this company has, uh, especially their Saks Fifth Avenue store in Manhattan. I mean, that was valued a couple of years ago at $3.7 billion U.S., which is more than triple the value of the entire company, you know, as a retailer. <laughs> so, I mean, you got to sit back and think about it for a second and say, you know, this is like someone trying to rent out a room in their house and, uh, you know, make a, a few hundred dollars a month versus having a house on the west side of Vancouver and selling it for millions of dollars. I mean, this is sort of the situation where Richard Baker is going to be, you know, keeping ownership of that house to rent that room, uh, when in reality he could make a lot more money uh, just selling the entire house. But, uh, you know, that, I, I, it's good for Canadians, I think, in the long run, because if we lost, you know, the Hudson Bay Company in Canada, we wouldn't have a traditional department store. Uh, mm-hmm. If you think about it, we've lost Eaton's and Woodward's in Western Canada. We lost Simpson's and, you know, other chains over time in Eastern Canada as well. And, uh, you know, I think it would be quite sad. I mean, I, I got interested in retail partly because of, you know, department stores. I thought they were a fascinating thing, and I still do. Uh, I don't think that they're being run the way that they could be. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a way that we're really saving the only department store chain left in Canada that isn't, a, you know, a large format fashion retailer like a Nordstrom, Simons, or Holt Renfrew. And it's a good point, too. It's become so synonymous with the Canadian brand. And there's demand for that around the world, as we've learned. We've spoken about demand for Roots or Canada, Canada Goose or HBC. It would be a bit of a loss to to see that go or fall by the wayside. And the same in the Netherlands. Uh, Hudson Bay Company operates Hudson's Bay branded stores. It's the only market in the world outside of Canada that actually has stores called Hudson's yeah. Bay. And um, you know, the Netherlands and Canada have a wonderful history. You know, we just had, uh, uh, you know, some war memorials and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I think they thought that the Hudson Bay brand would do uh, uh, extremely well. But I was told, you know, that the stores are quite empty. Mm. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, in the Netherlands, what they did is they built beautiful stores and brought some of their top merchandise in. And, you know, the stores, I think, in the Netherlands for the Hudson's Bay are nicer than the ones you see in Canada for the most mm. part. Uh, certainly, how, certainly how they look anyways. Yeah. Some other breaking news today. Prime Minister Trudeau announced a plan to ban single-use plastics as early as 2021. We've actually seen some municipalities and retailers with bans of their own. They're out ahead of this. But would you say that we've finally now kind of reached a tipping point when it comes to products like this? Um, I think we're in for a really interesting few years. In, you know, I think we're seeing a societal shift. And uh, this is going to affect retailers, and I think it's going to affect all of us and how we how we operate. I mean, um, you know, retailers at some point may be banned from giving out plastic bags. So, you know, they may be selling reusable bags, or you know, we may be bringing our own bags. And, and Lord only knows what else. I mean, single-use plastics—it's a multi-billion-dollar business, certainly, and with the consumables that are within them. And this is going to be very disruptive for manufacturing. It's going to need. You know, there's going to have to be solutions for retailers. I don't know what in terms of storage and. In the distribution, um, and then I think consumers are going to have to get used to this as well. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't go around the city uh, carrying around shopping bags, and I don't carry around a water bottle. But perhaps that's something that we'll all be doing in a few years. Uh, <laughs> 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 it, it's kind of like you know, we we go through these different shifts in society where you know we didn't have the internet, we didn't have computers at one time, we didn't have cars, and you know these things have all come to play. And I think that single-use plastic is the next. Uh, 
um, you know, the, the next boogeyman or the next thing that's going to be, uh, you know, solved in terms of, you know, a societal uh, shift towards something that's more environmentally friendly and better for the planet. Are we going to have a run on compostable straws and all these kinds of alternatives that many companies are going to need now? Like I think about the alternatives that are available, they're out there. But if we're talking about a whole country that's shifting, that's big business in a new way. Absolutely. This is an incredible opportunity for some companies to come up with some interesting innovations. I forget, it may have been South Korea or one of these companies or one of the countries in Asia actually has a wild straw, sorry, wild grass straws. Sorry, I think about what they're Which is really, because they do look like straws. I mean, it's grass that would be as wide as a straw, so it's not, you know, your your lawn grass you got in your house. But uh, it, <laughs> it sounds like... Uh, um, you know, there are these innovations out there. I mean, that's not even so much an innovation. It's just an adaptive reuse of something that's been around for you know thousands or millions of years, however long, however long yeah. the planet's been around for. But uh, no, I, I think that this is an incredible opportunity for companies to come up with innovations. Uh, but it is also, you know, if you're a, a, a single-use uh, plastic water bottle company, I mean, I don't know. There's going to be have to be, there's going to have to be some changes there. Perhaps they're going to become glass. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, I think ultimately, you know, our oceans apparently are full of plastic. I mean, there's conflicting information on how much, but it's certainly a lot. And I think at some point something has to be done. But at the same time, I mean, if you think about it, we're one little country in, you know, in the scheme of the world. I know we're a massive polluter, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anything we can do is good. But it'd be great if the whole world was sort of on board because, you know, third world countries are not known for their environmental uh, stewardship. And, and, you know, regardless of what we're doing here. Ultimately, you know, the planet could be doomed if global warming is indeed, uh, um, you know, uh, true, as people do say. Mm -hmm. I'm also curious to see what kinds of items are going to be banned. We're still waiting on the full list. But if you go to a grocery store, just the number of food items that have plastic components, you buy bananas, but they're wrapped in plastic, even if you brought a reusable bag, that too, is another major billion-dollar business, just how our food is packaged, and you can expand that to gadgets and toys and whatever you buy. Do you think we'll see that, or is that a much longer way away? That's that's essentially reimagining how we package things. I don't know. I mean, I think already uh, there was an announcement that Loblaw had partnered with the, with the company to try to get away from plastic packaging. Uh, consumers, uh, there's another study that Silvish, or I guess it wasn't just Silvish or Bois, but uh, Dalhousie University put together a study saying the majority of people are searching for non-plastic packaging. Um, now, they don't want to pay too much for the alternative, unfortunately, but uh, you know, I think consumers are actually on board with this already, at least according to their surveys. So mm. um, on the flip side, though, I mean, think about, you know, I don't know, you're walking home from work or whatever, and uh, you know, you've got these zero-waste grocery stores. I guess the person has to somehow have their own bottles, packaging, whatever, to put them in to bring them home. So, and I don't quite know how it would work because, I mean, I'm not carrying, you know, single-use shopping bags. I'm certainly not carrying, uh, you know, an entire, you know, Tupperware container, uh, you know, or a whole bunch of them with me. So, I don't know. I mean, again, it remains to be seen, you know, what innovations are going to be, you know, coming to play here. I I haven't been to one of those zero-waste grocery stores. There's a couple of them in Vancouver and uh, I'm curious what people are doing. I mean, I guess it becomes a real, uh, it becomes a real uh, focused effort to, uh, you know, shop that way. So, so who knows? I mean, I think we'll have our groceries delivered to us within a couple of years, anyway. So, yeah. I don't know how this is all going to play out, but <laughs> I think we'll still have some physical, uh, physical shopping, especially in stores like these zero waste ones, which it would be most environmentally friendly for people to travel to the store, hopefully on foot or bike, and, you know, get their stuff and then and then go home. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Well, on that topic, there's a new report from AdmitAd that shows Canadian e-commerce is booming. Online sales last year grew by more than 26% year over year. What are some of the trends behind this growth? Why are we seeing double-digit increases? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that that's fairly typical. Um, you know, we've seen e-commerce growth slowing in Canada, but it's still fast and furious. I mean, it's growing way faster than brick and mortar retail. And I think it's just, you know, the convenience factor. And I think that online retailers are getting better at removing friction points, you know, say at times of payment and whatnot. And I found myself, I'm shopping more online. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to say when I open my Instagram account now, these uh, ads come up for product innovation and I bought almost every single one of them. And I'm just saying, what's wrong with me? I mean, and they're all online purchases. I mean, it's almost easier now if you think about it. uh, you know, if you can Google something or, you know, go do a search query on, on a website and buy something, I mean, you don't have to walk to the store, you don't have to search for it, it may not be in stock. I mean, these are all issues that we have in physical stores. So uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> at the same time, you know, people are, you know, they say the Generation Z or Z, I should say, uh, likes going to stores more than uh, online. And uh, with that, I think we're going to see retail concepts uh, becoming a little bit more interesting because, you know, at some point, if you can buy something online, and not have to go to a store. I think people are going to do it, at, you know, just for the effort and time savings. So, uh, but you know, if people do want that experience, I think people will still go to, to stores. I think they're just hopefully going to be more interesting stores, not say like a Payless uh, a store, which I, I, I think the retail experience was fairly underwhelming, as an example. Mm-hmm. Well, we were just chatting a moment ago about consumer behaviors, and I think go back a number of years, a lot of people maybe were visiting e-commerce stores to price compare while they were physically inside a retail location. But it seems like now it's actually replacing convenience store trips or it's changing how we shop for things. It's not just big ticket items. More and more people have the option now to get groceries, home delivery, whatever they need. They have to do online. They don't need to go anywhere. That's the case. I mean, I I was thinking about this last night, and I do force myself to go grocery shopping physically because it's a little bit of forced exercise, which sounds (laughs) silly, but it it gets me into the city and it gets me engaging with people and things. And it's, I still think that it's a good thing. But uh, no, I do think that we're going to see more online shopping. And, uh, uh, you know, this could be bad for physical retailers because we're at this really strange point in the retail industry where you know, people are shopping more online. They're doing, you know, they're spending their money on different things. Uh, the cost of living has gone through the roof, be it you're buying a home or renting one, especially in Vancouver and, you know, larger cities like Toronto as well. And uh, so we've got less money for stuff. You know, these new iPhones are like $2,000 each, which is just kind of ridiculous. And mm-hmm. so we've got all this, uh, you know, incomes haven't gone out that much in comparison. So there's less money to spend on stuff. So people are spending less money on you know, fashion and certain items. And then on the flip side, we've got commercial streets uh, where the taxes have gone up significantly, uh, you know, and shopping centers, you know, are not a cheap place to go usually for rent. And so some retailers are being, you know, bled dry basically by really high rents. So, uh, and part of that is, you know, tax being passed on to the uh, retailer and their rent. So, you know, I think we're going to see quite a few more store closures, unfortunately, uh, in markets like Vancouver, uh, despite the fact that taxes have been, uh, you know, passed on a little more into the residential market from the commercial market through taxes. I think that was a very recent announcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's too bad to hear about store closures. I know we've spoken about this before, but have small Canadian businesses found their place in the e-commerce landscape or is that still a struggle? Um, some definitely have. I mean, there are some great solutions out there like Shopify and Lightspeed in terms of uh, smaller businesses are actually able to 
compete with larger businesses, I'd say to a degree. I mean, larger companies are always going to have that economies of scale advantage. Maybe I shouldn't say always, but, uh, you know, they can buy in bulk, basically, and get it at a lower price. And they're able to offer that to consumers. I mean, Walmart is one of the best examples of that. Uh, Their buying power is gigantic. If you've got a mom and pop store selling something, you know, on commercial drive, they're not going to have the same buying power. But um, you know, the store on Commercial Drive may have the opportunity to, you know, have a one-on-one relationship with their shoppers. And that's something that's a lot harder for Walmart to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well put. One store that seems to be doing fairly well is Miniso. They have more than 50 stores and counting in Canada, but they're launching a new concept too. Tell me what Miniso has planned in store for Canadians. Yeah, yeah. So Miniso, for those who aren't familiar, and it's becoming a really familiar brand very quickly, it entered Canada in 2017. It's a variety retailer. Um, they, well, it says that it's a Japanese uh, lifestyle brand. It's, it's based in China, but they've launched this ten uh, under ten dollars store concept. And I mean, whether or not that's innovative, I, I don't know. The reason <laughs> I say that is because most product in many stores was already under ten dollars. So yeah, yeah. You know, there were a lot of a lot of two ninety nine, three ninety nine, four ninety nine price tags. And I go into the store sometimes. I mean, I unfortunately had to report some negative news about many. So when you know the Canadian former Canadian division was accused of fraud and. You know, the Chinese division has since come in and taken over the Canadian operations, which are very, very successful. I think that yesterday they opened their 67th store in Canada, 67. So, wow. Um, and they were planning on opening 500 stores in Canada, and they may still be planning on doing that. Uh, you know, so they've got this new $10 concept, and, and it really is you know, saying we're a value store. You can come in and probably afford to shop here very easily. I think that's messaging. And, you know, Miniso also uh, last week opened a location in a Walmart store. So we're talking an actual um, like mini so concession in a Walmart store, and that, that's the first for Canada. They've always been you know either in a mall or on a street. So, you know, the, the first store in Canada for mini so was on um, Broadway in uh, I think Fairview in Vancouver. It wasn't Kitsilano. I think it was technically Fairview. Hmm. That's so interesting. This ten dollar and under it's more expensive than a dollar store, but it sounds like they're maybe trying to set themselves apart a little bit, still affordable, but offering things that maybe are more valuable than something you'd get for 97 cents. And there's actually a better example of that coming into market. And uh, it wouldn't be so familiar to people from British Columbia, but I think that there's going to be an expansion if the concept takes off. So Mal Coven uh, had a company called Byway and uh, Byway was a, a discounter and it was, you know, it was very huge in Ontario, but it was a national chain. And, you know, many of us might not remember it closed in the nineties and I'm old enough that I remember the name, but he's actually bringing it back and calling it the Byway $10 store. And hmm. his concept is very different from Miniso in that he's bringing in brand name goods. Like, you know, I don't know, Van Hughes and Adidas. I actually don't know the brands, but we weren't supposed to say what they were, but I'm just kind of, you know, saying Van Hughes and perhaps that type of thing. And, um, you know, those might be 50, 60, $70 retail items, and they're going to be selling them for $10 each. So um, that I think is a really interesting concept because, you know, you are going and you know, you're getting something that's of at least a decent quality and you're, just paying $10. So uh, concepts like this could, you know, if you're able to cater to a consumer off on something that's pretty good and at a good price, uh, a retailer could win. And with that, they're going to steal market share from competitors that are trying to also sell, you know, somewhat similar stuff and just are trying to compete for limited dollars and time, which, like I said, you know, we, uh, we're spending a lot of uh, money in other areas. And, you know, we're very busy people who uh, are distracted and they don't necessarily be going out and buying a pair of pants. Yeah, fair enough. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, going from $10 or less items to a store that sold a $150,000 sapphire ring, the luxury Italian jeweler Pomolato, it closed its only Canadian location, and this happened to be in Pacific Center. Why are they closing their doors? What happened? 
Actually, I don't know the full story on that. I think that there was, uh, I mean, it may not have done that well. I think there was an, an end of contract is what I was told by one of the employees at the Max Mara store because um, Vesta's Fashion Group um, had the license, or I think it was the you know, franchise might be the term, for Pomolato at Pacific Centre. It was the only one in Canada. And, uh, you know, they still got Max Mara, which uh, Vancouver, it was the number one market for the Italian women's fashion brand, Max Mara. Vancouver was the number one market in North America. I don't know if it was in the world, but it was pretty close. So Mm. score one for Vancouver. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and then she's got a company, a retailer called Bluebird, which uh, there's a store on Alberni Street downtown uh, in the edge of the luxury zone. And there's one at the Oak Ridge Shopping Centre as well. But Pomolato, you know, Vancouver luxury sales still do really well. I mean, the brand itself may not have been that strong. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of advertising and, you know, celebrity, uh, you know, endorsements, whatnot for the brand. I mean, maybe I haven't been paying attention, but there are still stores doing really well in Vancouver. Uh, you know, with Pomolato closing, you know, it's it's one down. I mean, I think Roberto Coan also closed. It was at the Four Seasons Hotel. People may not have known this. It was a very high-end Italian jewelry that had a teeny-weeny little tiny store only one in Canada as well and you know not too far away in terms of you could walk there in a minute but it was in the hotel lobby (laughs) people wouldn't know but um, one thing that's really neat and we're going to talk about it this week in Retail Insider I think is um, Frey Viley it's uh, on Howe Street 565 Howe Street is the address I remember it (laughs) and uh, um, it's based out of Austria very high-end bracelets and scarves very colorful beautiful stuff Vancouver has the only location in North America now. I just went online and had a look uh, last week, and I thought, that's so interesting that the stores in Beverly Hills, New York, and Miami closed, and uh, there's one in Vancouver. So hopefully it stays open. Yeah, there you go. Well, that leads me into the final topic for today, and it does have to do with luxury. Of course, BIV ran a story about how British Columbia's retail sector may be impacted by BC's crackdown on money laundering by no means advocating or arguing for not cracking down on money laundering, but exploring what some of the potential impacts might be. And of course, Craig, you were one of the people quoted in the story that inspired a lot of feedback. Did the reaction surprise you at all? Oh, definitely. I mean, I definitely was not supporting money laundering in any way. Um, I'd made some comments about the fact that, you know, some a percentage of retail sales are definitely from Chinese shoppers. And perhaps I should have used Asian as more you know, a- accurate uh, descriptor because, you know, there are very high spending people from, you know, Japan, uh, not as many as there used to be, but, you know, Korea and whatnot. But the fact is, you know, 90% of some of the high-end retail sales in Vancouver are done by, you know, people of an Asian background. And if you were to lose those sales, I mean, that would be catastrophic. And I did use that word in the article. Now, I also mentioned that a percentage of retail sales, I have no idea how much they are, um, you know, are from money laundering. And I can confirm that, yeah, I mean, there is money laundering in some luxury retailers. And yes, there would be a reduction in sales uh, in theory if money laundering, you know, had, uh, there was a crackdown. And um, I'm here to say there should be. I mean, I don't think that any retailer should ever knowingly accept money, uh, laundered money. And, you know, it was very much me just saying, you know, because I also work in a university, right? So we're taught to, you know, look at cause and effect and, you know, or, you know, take a real intellectual approach. But unfortunately, there was a, a, an unfortunately high percentage of the population who read that article and, and took it to be an opinion piece and was saying, oh, my God, these people are saying that, you know, this crackdown shouldn't be uh, happening because it's going to reduce retail sales. And I'm here to say, oh, my God, no, I mean, I, I'm the number one supporter of that crackdown. I, I've been following it because I've been fascinated by the fact that, uh, you know, this could hit the economy, and uh, and it should. I, I mean, no question. I mean, <laughs> uh, no economy should be uh, 
fueled by illegal money, and uh, nor should that be embraced. And unfortunately, that has been the case you know, with the real estate market and and retail and other areas, uh, you know, in the lower mainland. So. Uh, anyway, it was a very interesting situation. I mean, it made me realize that there is a, a you know, some people may not have a reading comprehension level, which, uh, or an understanding, uh, or, or may not think that much for that matter, uh, but are, are reactive based on emotion. And I think that's unfortunate because that's kind of how Donald Trump got elected. So uh, I'd encourage people to be better and to, <laughs> you know, um, think when they're reading and, and actually read things and not just get reactive because someone, uh, uh, said something and they think that that person is correct. And that's unfortunate. The whole, you know, quote unquote, fake news, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ethos that, that, that comes about. I mean, we're in this really strange time in our history where, uh, you know, people are uh, internalizing reality based on their own, uh, uh, you know, thoughts and not necessarily what is real. So, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, what has actually been said or whatnot. And and I don't know. I mean, I think that's too bad. I mean, I, uh, I, I, I try to see both sides of every story and perhaps, uh, I mean, maybe I should just keep my mouth shut because, you know, I, I really got blasted. I mean, I, I couldn't believe some of the horrible comments that were thrown at me and, and at Glenn Corstrom who wrote the article. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing. The attorney general even came in and made snarky comments. I'm incredibly disappointed with him. I mean, David Eby is a brilliant lawyer with Pivot Legal and, you know, I used to be a lawyer as well. And, uh, you know, for him to make snarky comments like that, it was so unprofessional and so beneath him. And, uh, you know, Kirk LaPointe called him out. So <laughs> good for Kirk. I mean, <laughs> I think Kirk should run for the, uh, uh, you know, liberal uh, leadership. And anyways, no, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I think it it's a story that tries to illustrate what is well documented in Peter German's reports that this has been ongoing. It can't be denied and it has made its way into many parts of the British Columbian economy, not just in casinos and not just in real estate. It sounds like retail is one of those areas that could be impacted. Definitely. I mean, I know one um, former manager of a luxury retailer who told me that, you know, they had clients that they knew for sure were drug dealers and that they weren't to mm. contact them, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, reaching out and saying we've got a new suit from a certain brand. I won't say which one because it would give away the retailer. It's a pretty big name. But uh uh, yeah, I mean, there's no question that laundered money is being spent in stores, and that needs to be reeled in. I mean, I hope it's not a lot of money, but I do. I know definitely it's it's millions of dollars a year. So you know, and that's really unfortunate, and, that, and I think that needs to be stopped. I mean, the, the, the you know, and you know, I said a little negative things about David Eby, but I, I really hope he's able to come through, and uh, uh, this inquiry actually is successful, and that you know. Uh, stop gaps and you know this can be solved you know changes can be implemented i think that's going to be really really important because in the end you know this isn't good for vancouver's reputation uh it's not good for the city in general and uh, we've ended up with these incredibly high real estate prices you know there have been you know crimes associated with uh, uh, illegal activity and then uh, you know i think it's affected the quality of life of british columbia mm-hmm. in a negative way <laughs> Yeah, I think many people would agree with that. If anyone wants to read the article, by the way, it's How Slow Retail Sales Would Hurt Economy If BC Reigns in Money Laundering Online May 28th. You can read some of Craig's comments in there if you read the full thing, which I suggest you do. As always, Craig, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to have your insight. And thanks for (laughs) clarifying that story, too. It did cause a lot of heated discussion. It sure did. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Thanks again.
That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at Retail Insider. And that's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com slash audio and more business news at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. 